you know what I love about this sound is actually you. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. Hello everyone, welcome along to part two of the November deep dive episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. If you've listened to part one, you'll have heard myself and James Cunliffe talk about uh, Thomas Kaminsky, Issa Kabore and reflecting on a brilliant year in charge under Rob Edwards. We're now going to leave Luton Town aside for a little bit for this part two. We're going to talk about some wider issues in football. We're going to talk about the independent regulator, which is on the horizon. TV picks and Christmas fixtures, and then we'll finish off with a look at Power Court. And to help me do all of that, I'm joined by the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe. James, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. It's the international break, though, isn't it? I could do without it. I mean, you say that uh, the international break is a bit boring, but at least Luton moved up a place during the uh, international break. I haven't played, and it, much like earlier in the season, we we're always better when we didn't play in terms of going up. <laughs> Uh, league places uh, this time though it's come at the point of a points deduction for Everton who've been deducted 10 points as it stands obviously uh, all the signs are that they're going to appeal but I guess it's probably the right time to talk about that in terms of the fact that we're going to get a independent regulator in football as far as the King's speech which was announced uh, just over a week ago it's announced it was very much in the paperwork there for uh, an independent regulator to come in all the vibes are that there's about a year away from happening. I heard Steve Parrish, Crystal Palace chairman, ironically, on a podcast last week saying that he believes it's about a year away from uh, coming into place. Uh, we'll talk about the regulator side of it first, but the Everton points deduction. Obviously, we're a supporters trust. We've been through all this points deduction malarkey before. The wrong people get punished with a points deduction. But Do you have sympathy in this regard? No, totally different scenario. It, it has to be said. I mean, Luton were getting punished from the the misdeeds of previous owners that weren't there, um, and so not only were the now current owners twenty twenty getting punished at that point, but so were the, the fans who had nothing to do it. Um, the the Everton fine, um, which the, the punishment. Sorry, they've obviously admitted the financial irregularity and I know it's only one but it is the current administration that has managed it um, but it's a different scenario from the Luton one I think and um, uh, yeah, we're talking about unprecedented punishments I think 10 points is the least of it if you can't you know Everton were picking up anyway and you get docked 10 points in November you'd, you'd like to think that they'd like to think I th that they'll get out of that and I, I would imagine they would as well because they were sort of heading in the in the right direction and you, you know the sort of siege mentality that that sort of punishment can can provide and so I wouldn't make them out to be particularly in any danger at present. We have to see how it pans out, but it's a it's a lovely boost at the moment for for Luton to to get out of there. Um, and I think probably it's more. Um, it's more a sign of things to come potentially um, in, the, in, the, in the league um, and, and indeed maybe across the whole football period. But while we're in the Premier League, I guess we concentrate on that. And um, I can't have been the only one sitting there. In fact, I've tweeted about it that 
how can it be that there's a punishment there for one club and then another club that's got 115 charges against them? We've not heard of Dickie Bird for ages. Yeah, it certainly will be interesting to see what happens with regards to Man City and indeed Chelsea. Uh, just focusing on Everton, though, they admitted it. They complied with the FA, sorry, with the Premier League and everyone, and they still got 10 points. Is it a deterrent for clubs not to comply and just hope they don't get caught? <laughs> I mean, uh, probably not. I mean, if you if you can't, if you, uh, can't do the time, don't do the crime scenario, isn't it? You, you shouldn't be... There's, oh, it, it boggles my brain that the, that we're in the Premier League, the richest league in the world, and you get showered with money, and that they're in this situation where they've they've uh, fallen foul somehow. Um, it's 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 bad management, you've got to say, isn't it? Ultimately, I mean, what I hate is that you're allowed to lose 105 million quid over three years, mm. 35 million quid a year. I mean, that is eye watering amounts of money. You know, you look just look around the world and what's going on, and the you know everything that's going on in this country. Thirty-five million quid could do a hell of a lot, and a football club's allowed to you to lose it each year. I mean, you get given a hundred million, so you basically got to do your brains to the tune of one hundred and thirty-five million quid to fall foul of um, FFP in the Premier League. I mean. I don't even know how I could spend 135 million quid, even even if I wanted to. And that's obviously... I'd have a good go. I would would too. But I mean, you know, if you think like, you've also got income and turnover and everything in that as well. You probably, when you put that on top of it, you're now suddenly looking at near 155, 160 million that you've got to lose. I mean... There's, if if anything's a sign that we need this independent regulator in football, Swift, it's got to be that. If you're allowed to lose a net of 35 million quid a year without getting punished, that is not sustainable. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we were, I mean, we were talking about it last season, this whole scenario in the championship, because the amount of clubs in there that are just spending ridiculous amounts of money. That, Gambling on the dream. Yeah, to try and get into the Premier League to earn the amount of money where that makes you solvent. <laughs> and then suddenly you're in the Premier League where you think you're just swimming in money and they are, the clubs are, and then Everton are doing that. I don't, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, so it's, I, I think the independent regulator, We when we were talking about it last season and maybe even the season before, we were thinking about everywhere outside the Premier League because they're all right, Jack, aren't they, with the amount of money that they've got. But clearly, if they, if they're not, um, then it's going to be good for them as well. But I think, uh, yeah, we were definitely talking about it in terms of even in the playing field for Luton in the Championship when you've got teams paying, you know, um, uh, £2 for every £1 they earn or something like that. Maybe it might, might have exaggerated those figures, but that's the sort of scale of it. Back, back in there and obviously when you go down to the lower leagues it's less about those teams trying to achieve the dream and just not going out of business um, which obviously we don't want to to see because it weakens the whole football pyramid um, but yeah it's it, it's absolutely baffling how it can be now an issue in the in the Premier League when you've got all that money because I think eventually and we've even heard noises about it this week in the news that the gravy train might not last that long if Saudi, uh, the, pro, the Pro League, get their their way, for instance. And I think that's it, 
it's probably if they can attract the players they've done in one summer. I know there's a propaganda uh, machine at the moment, isn't there? In um, in the nationals, talking about how woeful the players that have gone over there have done, and they're playing in front of like one man and his dog and stuff. But when you're talking about the amount of money that they're able to offer up, it's almost irrelevant. Um, you, if you pick out Jordan Henderson, for instance, of the Liverpool moves, oh, I'm going out there for um, you know to widen the game and all that stuff, and it's not. You're going out there for that much. And so he's playing in front of 600 people, but he's getting absolutely, <laughs> his pockets are weighed down with the amount of money he's getting. So um, we might just have been very fortunate to have entered the Premier League at a, at a time when the money's still there, because eventually it won't be. We probably all remember, um, those of us with a certain vintage, uh, Italia football on Channel 4. It was all there all the time uh, at the weekends. A really very good programme, James Richardson doing the old Gazzetta dell'Italia, uh, the pink paper uh, and some sort of lovely piazza and stuff like that. And that back then, Italian football was the money, where the money was until the Premier League came along and going, it won't, we're going to do this. And the Premier League, they're just following the Premier League model, which was getting loads of players that sort of pass their peak, uh, but are big names, your Hullets and the like, get them over and start that way. And then eventually you start attracting all the players to the point where the Premier League now, well, up to a season ago, were getting all the big names, really. Um, Save for one or two that, you know, were playing in, in, in Spain that had a dream to go and play for Real Madrid, even though they were well, not from that country whatsoever. Um, I think there's there's every chance that it could uh, go a different way. So from Luton's perspective, it's great to get on the gravy train while there's still some gravy in the boat. Yeah, boats and trains. That's a mixed mixed message for you. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Don't I'm not going to get you started on <laughs> boats and trains uh, or anything else that could lead us to the government, other than it's going to be the government that enforces this. Uh, independent regulator as was requested by tracy crouch in the review that we gave a presentation to uh obviously you in the media saw that presentation that we gave and it was firmly behind distribution of cash from the top right the way to the bottom well if the people at the top are allowed to lose 35 million quid net a year you know you kind of wonder how they're going to spend money giving sorry giving money down to the bottom but i guess it will come out of the tv deal but that's for the independent regulator to uh, to sort out but it is it is essential in football isn't it football has shown that it cannot govern itself I mean, we've got too many factions in football now. We've got the Premier League looking out for itself, and that's fair enough. It's a 20-club member organisation. We have the Football League, which again is a 72-member club organisation. We have the FA, who largely do FA, so they (laughs) do live up to their name. So we've got three bodies, really, none of whom can get together around a table and sort anything out. The FA really largely now are all about... Uh, the England men's team and the Lionesses really they'll spout out about grassroots football but grassroots football has been neglected for so long now that they're probably just hoping it goes away so it needs someone on to, uh, as like the top of the umbrella over the overseeing these now doesn't it so that a football needs to prove that it can control itself which I suspect and I heard Simon Jordan say this on TalkSport is why Everton have been charged with FFP now 
and why they'll speed up the process with Chelsea and Manchester City. So it needs someone to prove that it can control itself. But it also needs to make sure that it's enforced for 92 clubs and rather than just, well, it's not even 20 in the Premier League, is it? It's six, really. Yeah, I mean, all of that's been apparent for a very long time. Um, and COVID brought it out even even more. Um, the, you know, the prophecies of, of, of clubs going to the wall uh, didn't quite pan out, but maybe it's a delayed scenario and we're seeing um, the, 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 there are clubs that are struggling uh, lower in the leagues, as, as uh, has always been the case. But, um, you know, it's it's definitely something that needs to come in. And I am kind of amazed, really, that we got to the stage where it looks like it is now. It's I'm not um, I'm not a monarchist or a royalist in the slightest. Uh, so I don't know the importance of these things, but you tell me that if it's in the king's speech, it's basically got to happen. It's, it's kind um, of like when the king is, it's, he has a similar level of importance as when the king appo- approves an appointment of a prime minister. So it's like the last sort of acknowledgement really of legislation. So once it's in that legislation, it's official. It's now about working on getting it done. So that's impressive just to get it to that stage, really, particularly when you've seen the the <laughs> the political merry-go-round of the Tories and what they do. They've, they've, my God, I can't even remember the amount of prime ministers there's been in since the last election that nobody voted for, let alone the amount of culture and culture and sports ministers that have probably been in. Obviously, you did. The, the trusted the presentations of Tracy Crouch and she's no longer in post anymore. So you're thinking, well, is that something that just falls by the wayside? So to get to this stage where it looks like it's probably going to happen um, is impressive enough. Um, and then you get to the Everton scenario where obviously people are talking about um, maybe the decision has come in so they can try and appear like they're, they're making some headway into uh, regulating themselves and I don't disagree with that I think that's probably a sound shout there's going to be some politic in it in it um, although they admitted to a charge and if you fall foul of the financial uh, regulations which are there clear and black and white then punishments is what you're going to get it's probably just the speed of it I guess that's and the to. severity of it I think I think the general consensus is that a hefty fine and maybe a three-point deduction merited the crime I don't think, I mean, there was talk that they were going to get a 12-point deduction at the start of the week, wasn't there? And then when it came out, it was a 10-point deduction. came out very quickly, actually, Mm. didn't it? It was like, usually it's tipped off in all the nationals and stuff before it happens, isn't it? But that wasn't the case. So I think it's the severity of it, which is where the Premier League are sort of showing the world that they can sort of control their own organisation and things like that. But even if it does show that, we do, you know, the regulator still needs to get in there because it's not going to give up the rights to everything without a fight, is it? You know, it hasn't got itself into the multi-million pound powerhouse industry that it is. And we've seen it since we've come into it massively. Uh, It's not going to give that up without a fight. So the regulator is going to need to be strong, going to need to be, well, very much like it says on the tin, independent, uh, obviously of a financial sort of background. I wouldn't want someone who's, previously been either in football or as had a role in football organization i wouldn't want it's got to be someone of a banking background you would think um but he needs to have he or she needs to have the full broadsheet 
to clean football up, not just bits and bobs that the Premier League will let them do. Yeah, and I guess we don't know what the full remit of their powers will be, but they've got they've got to be able to get right down into the weeds of any scenario they're looking at. And, and that's going to be a difficult one because when you've got clubs that are owned by nation states and they will not run out of money, um, they can find loopholes everywhere, I would imagine. Um, so they've got to try and, and tighten that. And yeah, we're not good at that as a country in itself, let alone football. So um, there's a lot of work to do when it comes in, but I, I guess um, you've got to start some, somewhere. And uh, if it initially for me, if it helps um, stop this boom and bust in the lower reaches of the divisions uh, in the football league, then I think that's probably the the starting place. Obviously, you you want to go after any skullduggery at the top end, but as we're seeing with uh, 115 charges for one club, um, that's not going to come through very quickly, I wouldn't imagine, because there's all manner of hurdles, I guess, that they can throw in the way if you've got enough money. That's sort of just, unfortunately, how the whole world seems to work. Um, but yeah, if if they can come in and with, with some with a useful start to give some more certainty to um, lower league clubs, you know, we've not long since been there in the lower no, leagues. So. We haven't. You're right, and we will be back there again at some point because football is cyclical. And I'm not saying for one minute that we're getting relegated this season, but Luton aren't fit to stay in the Premier League of a you know, of a 30 year period. It's, I heard again, uh, listening to Steve Parrish, he said staying in the Premier League for 10 years is an achievement, but ultimately we're four bad months away from being back in the championship. So everything that I do when I vote in all of these meetings is done with an eye on the wider football world, because whilst I'm enjoying the Premier League limelight at the minute, I know that I'm four bad months away from being back in the championship and Luton are less than that. Luton are two bad months away from being back in the championship. It's just the way of the world. Like you say, we're competing with countries now, not football teams. But I think the the important thing with the fan-led review was fan representation. And that's the one thing that, over anything, that the independent regulator has to get more fan control of these clubs. You're right, they're not going to run out of money, Manchester City, but these people might get bored and then toddle off. Or Newcastle, or if the Qataris take over Manchester United. At some point, they'll find another plaything to go to, and they will leave some sort of rubble behind. You only have to look at what's happened with Chelsea. The world can just turn at the click of fingers. And supporters need to be on hand, knowing what's going on and knowing that there's no pieces to pick up because there's a continuity path. And and I think that's important. Obviously, we've got that here. Not only have we got Luton fans as owners, we've got the image rights as a trust. Uh, Nothing like that can ever change without our consultation. And indeed, uh, with regards to the kits, uh, I'm led to believe that one of my fellow board members is already in discussions with next about next season um, for that. That just goes to show the input that we're having as our club. But we are very lucky in that. and Not all clubs have that. So I think whilst the independent regulator has to sort football out, it also has to protect football by making sure that there's more fan representation, both at the clubs, however that's done, and also uh, organisations like the FSA have more weight with their words uh, and and they're respected a lot more than they are. 
Absolutely. I think that's that's number one of what we all want to see is, is that particularly from our point of view, when we've seen how well the model works, I mean, you don't, Luton have, have, have shocked the world in the sense that you don't have to break the bank or go bankrupt or flirt with, um, you know, you know, going out of business to, to get where you need to be. Um, but I also, I, I'm probably in the boat with this, a, a lot of football fans is that I'm in, I'm in, I'm into football because of football and I don't necessarily want to know the ins and outs of finance. And it seems that, you know, over the last decade or so that we, we've had to know more about it, even though I can barely uh, tell you my age and, and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not a numbers guy, but I think the problem is if you don't know the finances, you don't know if there's going to be football to be interested in football in. And that's, that's the delicate situation that we're in now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, we, we don't want to go back to the dark old days of, of how it was bloody hell, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. We don't want that because we know how bad it was and how perilously close we came to not, not being able to sit here in front of you now and, and do this podcast. I mean, that's, well, I mean, that's, that's the, the least neg- of it. That's the negative to it. But. <laughs> that's the least of it. But, um, yeah, no, in, in all seriousness, if you're, if you're flirting with the idea that your club's going to come out of business, I mean, at the, you've only got to look now that Scunthorpe fans haven't got a clue what's going on now, but they're, are they still locked out of their ground? They can't play there. That's madness. I mean, um, it, I don't know if this is within what the remit of the football regulator would be, but you've got to have this situation where you can't have prospective owners coming in like the Berry one, who was just a asset stripper. That can't happen. And, um, that's probably that for me. That's got to be in the mix of it. Um, you know, we'll see what what it is, and I'm I'm not surprised that it might take a year or so to get that in action and and, and put down the the building blocks for what it will be. But um, yeah, we're, you know, at, at the bottom end, it's about clubs not going out of business. But at the top end, it's about this unending gravy train that fans now have this disconnect with um, the top division because they're seeing players earning, you know, 250 grand a week. Three, uh, it, it, it's madness to, to think that you can do that. And I don't necessarily, I, I, I'm not arguing against that in terms of a supply and demand nature. I think it, it, it's the old film star argument. You, you complain at Brad Pitt for earning millions of pound a movie. That, that's not it, but that's unsustainable in the long term. If, for example, the eyes of the world move to to the Saudi league and leave the Premier League behind, and then suddenly, what what are you left with? If, if the whole division and football at the top end has been built on this this money and this great product, because all of that goes very quickly, so I think there's got to be two angles to it. Really, it's to deal with the top end and the bottom end, and hopefully. If somewhere in the middle of that, they can try and make, let's, let's focus on the Premier League. If they can try and make the Premier League more competitive. So we've got uh, a 20 team division where a good, let's say 10 teams might have a more realistic chance of actually, let's, let's start off with breaking into the European positions for starters rather than title. But that would be better because, um, you know, that we, we get told a lot that the Premier League is the best league in the world and the greatest product in the world. But I think for me, that needs to be reflected in how competitive it is. And 
You know, we're coming up against Man City in a couple of weeks. And everybody knows they're going to win the league. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it, it, it was never like that when I was growing up. It, yeah, Man United might have won it a lot, but it was so much closer. There was other teams in it. Norwich one year, Aston Villa one year, Newcastle. a couple of years, stuff like that. Newcastle for a couple of years and that sort of stuff. And that doesn't seem to happen anymore. And now it's just... Um, Manchester City and whatever other club can hang on to their coattails long enough to drag it out and try and make it this supposed interesting title race and it hasn't been for ages. Yeah, that's just media hyperbole, isn't it? I mean, there's no um, there's no title race. There's, you know, the only races who could be closest to Manchester City until Guardiola leaves um, at the very earliest. It just makes you realise just how good Leicester must have been that season six or seven years ago. So we've won the Premier League. Okay, the 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 finances of the Manchester Cities and the Newcastles and everything of this world has probably increased since then, but they were still there or thereabouts at the time and unbelievable um, achievement and yeah. But even then, um people forget that Leicester City were run by a, a Thai bil- billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, they they weren't short of cash. But when you've got say nation states coming in and just buying their way to it doesn't sit right really so if there's any way that the independent regulator can come in and deal with that absolute car crash of a scenario then um yeah all power to them but i, I won't help in breath on it no i think i think we we'll all agree that in an ideal world the independent regulator will be in quicker than a year but me personally i'm kind of happy if it takes that long as long as they get the right man with or woman with the right credentials with the right job spec with the right, you know, um, allowances of what they can do, uh, instructions of what they can do rather than rush it, get it wrong and get picked off by the Premier League and its lawyers. And also, like you just said, no one really thought it'd get this far. So to get this far, we can wait another 12 months for it, really. The only caveat would be there's going to be another government in 12 months' time. So is that going to put it back? Again, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully Labour, who I presume will get in. I'm only presuming, but you can't... Please, somebody well, other you, than the you, bloody you, Tories. You kind of you think that if there is a God, there is a new government coming in. You just hope that that doesn't put it back. As I mean, as we've seen with Power Court, which we'll talk about later, changes in government and everything else hasn't helped that situation. So we don't want it going further and further back. But if it can be in place by this time next year, I think everyone would be happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm more hopeful that that if it does take it a, a year from now that we have another government. The current one have demonstrated they're absolutely unfit to uh, hold any purse strings whatsoever. They've they've robbed us all, by the way. They've taken all of our money and they've given it to their mates and they've not even done it, you know, in the shadows. They've done it in plain sight. So I've got absolutely no faith that the Tories would be able to make this work. Although they've probably got more chance now Nadine Dorries isn't anything to do with sport and media and everything else. <laughs> now that she's been binned off, it's no surprise that it moved forward a bit a bit faster. Well, when your contribution to culture is uh, eating some kangaroo bollocks, I don't think you've really got a leg to stand on uh, in that way. But um, I hope, yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, in 12 months time, there is another government that have got some, uh, that have got some absolute sense and not some... Not a bunch of ideological grifters that come in and and don't and get it all wrong because um, 
you, you could be faced with a situation we've got one shot at this to get this right. I think we have. Yeah, because um, if you get it wrong and it goes tits up, as maybe we're seeing in the political era, um, sphere, where I think people are really absolutely, truly fed up and desperate um, to, to get out of the current situation we are, are in. If it goes wrong, um, because of those other world factors, uh, that, that sort of changes the mindset of maybe the general population... Uh, yeah, you get it wrong. It doesn't come back again. I really think first impressions with this regulator is massive. He, he or she has to come in, not lay the law down because you've got to do it in a professional manner. But you've got to show that you're on the front foot and that you are the boss. You are the person with the power that's been attributed to you via this review through the government, and and show everyone that you mean business really. And, and if you just tentatively go in or there's loopholes that can be exploited or anything like that. I mean, we've seen it in football for the last 20 years. You should, you give someone an inch and they're off five miles down in the distance, aren't they? And that's just, so if it needs a year to get everything written up and sorted out, I think all football fans will take that. I don't think we'd want to get towards sort of 2025 and push in closer towards that 2026 world cup and still no regulate. We wouldn't want any of that. But I think if, you know, this time next year, we've had the Euros, we're preparing, for, you know, we're a third of the way through the 24-25 season. If we get it installed, I mean, obviously, ahead of that season would be fantastic, but that gives you sort of seven months. That's probably unrealistic, given the size of the task at hand. Yeah, the devil's in the detail, as they say. But I think there's another aspect as well, which I've been sort of um, hearing sniffs of this weekend, uh, just gone, that if what has happened to Everton gets extrapolated and the punishments are worse for uh, Manchester City who currently have charges against them and Chelsea who are under investigation, that that may embolden teams like them to do the European Super League breakaway again because they're like, well, we're not having this um, regulation come over here. So there's that aspect as well. I mean, I'm hoping that that wouldn't because it was fan-led uproar that scuppered it and put the kibosh in it last time and hopefully that wouldn't but you know if if Manchester City fans and Chelsea fans are suddenly faced with having to play their football in the lower leagues because it could if you only look to the Italian division uh, Juventus have been um, chucked down the divisions a couple of times Scotland Rangers got chucked down to the third division was it uh, yeah, that I mean that could happen and you know, if if they if 115 charges have been get proven, or even a half of them, then th- that would be what I'd want to see. Um, well, just if to one make an charge example. is ten points, you know, in theory, look going on the same thing. Even ten of those 115 charges is 100 points, and you know they're only going to get that many in the table, aren't they, City? So, yeah, and, and that would also add weight to what Simon Jordan was saying that that's why the Premier League have picked on Everton and showing that they can do it so that they keep the clubs in the Premier League as opposed to you know allowing that situation to develop. We'll um, we'll keep an eye on that with regards to the regulator. Obviously, the trust are um, pretty close with Fair Game and and, and other op- uh, organisations, and we're very much on the forefront of that as we were when we gave the presentation to Tracy Crouch and. Um, We'll talk about it in future deep dives, I'm sure. Um, next thing, I mean, again, with with regards to supporters, really, um, pretty much every Premier League club or trust supporters uh, club came out against football on Christmas Eve. And, and the whole TV pick structure 
uh, in total. Obviously, Wolves are going to play Chelsea on Christmas Eve this year. Um, afternoon kickoff, and it didn't go down too well, and that's that's absolutely fair enough. Um, where are you with regards to? Well, we'll, we'll separate it. Where are you with regards to football on Christmas Eve, first and foremost? I'm caught in two minds on it, really, because I'm not much of a crimbo person, to be quite honest. Uh, I've I've had to be uh, in the last few years because I've got kids now, and so it's more about them. But um, f- Christmas for me was the Christmas football schedule, so I'm kind of reluctant to impinge on that because I think Boxing Day football is one of the greatest days of football in the football calendar. Um, but Christmas Eve doesn't it doesn't really mean much to me. So, you know, I, I can I can weigh it up on the two hands and say I want to still see Boxing Day football. But if 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 Christmas Eve happens, I, I guess it wouldn't mean too much to me. But then it depends where you're playing, doesn't it? And that's the that's the real issue about. In many years gone by, if it was your local rivals, you wouldn't be too bothered but if you're traveling a long long way which to be fair Chelsea to Wolves you know you're not walking that are you no uh, and uh, and so on, on that regard I think it's I I, I think where people are probably really really uh, against it is the traditional aspect of it you know if there's one thing that this country uh, really adheres to quite strongly um is tradition and if we didn't what we wouldn't have a royal family still in a you know modern 21st century country which uh, is increasingly irrelevant but because of tradition uh we not i not me but the rest of the country sticks to these sorts of things and um i think <laughs> up there with that is the christmas football schedule uh, i think people are they love it and they're used to it throughout their uh, you know, entire life, and I mean, there will be people from the generation above us that will point out that football was played on Christmas Day back in the day. I don't think anyone wants to go down that route. I mean, that that is extreme. I wouldn't, you know, like I say, I'm not. I mean, a crim- I'm not a Christmas person, so I wouldn't well, mind. I, I'm not either. So <laughs> you know, and absolutely, if there's American people watching this, I'm sure they're all fans of American football teams and Ameri- there is NFL games on Christmas Day every single yeah. year because the best part of Christmas Day for me get rid of all that nonsense and get the NFL on the telly is absolutely great but um, tradition is like it's only tradition whilst it's serving the people that want the tradition kind of thing and once it doesn't no longer serve the people in what they want to get out of it they'll soon change from, tra- from tradition I'm of the mindset and obviously bearing in mind I'm on the trust board and I, you know, I wrote the statement that the trust put out condemning Christmas Eve football. I, I you know, I'll always um, go along with the rest of my board members. I'm of the opinion that if Christmas Eve falls on a Saturday, they should play football on Christmas Eve with the caveat that it has to be local games. Now, when we were in the conference, Boxing Day and New Year's Day were always the local the local game. So if they can sort that out in the conference, you know, with a penny compared to the pound that the Premier League can do, then I'm sure as hell the Premier League can fix a load of London derbies and fix a loot and go in somewhere not very far. And, you know, you'd have Manchester and Everton and Liverpool and Man City and all of these kind of games. Then I don't really have a problem with 
Christmas Eve. Yes, it's inconvenient for fans. I understand that traveling is a problem. It's not a great deal easier on Boxing Day, though, to be quite honest with you. But where I would be sympathetic of playing Christmas Eve or in favour of playing Christmas Eve is if you're a footballer and you've got a family, let's take a loot. Let's take loot in this season. Right. So we're at Boxing Day. We're at Sheffield United. So if you've got a family, let's say Andros Townsend, because I know for a fact he's got a couple of kids. He's got to leave his kids on Christmas Day, right? He's either got to leave his kids on Christmas Day to train ahead of that game against Sheffield United, or I presume Luton are going to stay in a hotel Christmas night ahead of that game. So he's not going to be able to spend Christmas Day with his kids. Whereas if Christmas Eve, which is actually a Sunday this year, so you could kind of work it this year as well. Whereas if he played on Christmas Eve, he would have Christmas Day off because players don't train the following day after a match. And then he would pick it up again Boxing Day or even maybe the day after. So he would get to play his football match, spend the whole of Christmas Day with his family, his young family, and then he would you know he wouldn't miss any training or anything like that. I just think sometimes, whilst I'm massively behind fans being at the forefront of football, if you haven't got footballers, you haven't got a game, and sometimes you just gotta remember that these people have got families as well. And on that occasion, I would kind of be, do you know what? I'll put myself out. It's not ideal traveling on Christmas Eve, but families deserve to be together at Christmas, particularly if you've got young kids. So for the for that one, I'll just kind of suck it and see really and, and let it be. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's all being led by TV anyway, isn't it? And, um, you know, I'm unconvinced that, that people want to watch that much TV, that much football on TV that isn't their team. I, I, I think the... Uh, I always refer back to John Nicholson's book of uh, Come Over Football Back, Please, where he's, he's sort of spoken to football insiders who don't really get the figures on these things, but he's spoken to them. And, you know, anecdotally, that, that there's not a huge amount of interest in most football games on, on, um, shown on TV. You know, on that side of things, I, I think that's where people kick back against it because if you're a match-going fan, then you're the one that's always hit and particularly now we're in the Premier League and we're seeing Sunday games, 12 o'clock kickoffs, five o'clock, you know, it's all over the place. It's, it's very difficult to, um, you know, organise your own life around those things if you want to be going to all the games. And I, I know that's you know, it's very difficult for people. And I think that the Christmas aspect of it intensifies that um, viewpoint even more. And I can fully understand why why people get really really angry by it. I hadn't considered what you said about if it's on a Saturday, I think that's, yeah, why not? Because it doesn't well, disrupt it, things. Yeah, it would have to be, Christmas Eve would have to be a Saturday or a Sunday, not a working day. I mm. mean, Saturdays is a working day, but, you know, people go to football on every Saturday. You would, I wouldn't want it to be a situation whereby you've got to take a day's leave to go and watch a football match mm. or anything like that. That I wouldn't be advocating that. But if it falls on a Saturday or a Sunday, so you're only talking two every seven years, mm. then... I'm not really sure I, I see the issue with, with that, as long as the caveat is that it's a local game. Yeah, that's for me. I mean, Sheffield United, is that's too far. Yeah. It's too, too far to get everyone together. And if, if uh, well, travelling in this country is a nightmare anyway, whether you go by 
your own car, petrol's far too much money, whether you go by tr- um, public transport and it's an absolute shambles because of the people that have been in charge for the last 13 years. I think now we're in the Premier League, it's, a, it's almost a different argument where I'm thinking that there's so much money, uh, surely either the league or the clubs should facilitate buses to take all the fans up there for free. Because for one game of yeah, the year, yeah, f- for free. Um, I'd, I'd err more on the side of the TV because they want to put that game on Christmas Eve and they want the ad revenue and they want the eyes on that game, then the goodwill uh, should come from them. Uh, but, you know, it's it's going to be water for dust, ducks back money-wise for clubs to put on four or five um, buses. What's what's the most you can get in a away ground? Probably Man, Man United, isn't it? How many were that? 3,000? I don't know how many buses that is. <laughs> a lot of There's buses. a lot of buses. People can still but drive, yeah. can't they? Yeah, I, mean, I go can. to games in, car, in, a, in a car now and, you know, okay I don't drive thankfully one of my friends drives but you know we would still go in a car even if someone put on the coaches I would imagine just because of the convenience of going there and back Mm. but I yeah absolutely those who would rely on trains for example to go to games you know yeah if they got free a free coach out you know to it I just think sometimes as fans whilst yes we are important and we should always have our importance said and and highlighted and listened to I think there are also extreme occasions where the players, not just the players, but um, members of staff at the club. I mean, you you know, you look at people, it's not just going to be 11 players that are toddling off to a hotel on Christmas night. It's going to be all the staff members, everything else. Emergency service workers who have to be there on Boxing Day, which they might not be if they worked on Christmas Eve, they might get the Christmas Day off that they could spend with their families. It's a lot, awful lot of things. So I'm not, uh, me personally, I'm not against Christmas Eve football. I understand that it's not a popular opinion and it won't be everyone's opinion, but I do just think sometimes that we do need to put another set of people first and that would be the players and the staff and everything. And on that particular day, I, I would ask the players, would you prefer to play Christmas Eve or Boxing Day? If they all say, hey, we love Boxing Day and we don't mind giving up Christmas night, or Christmas morning to train or whatever, then that's fine. Crack on. But I would wager a dance like more than 50% would say I'd rather be with my family on Christmas day and not have to worry about a football match for the next day sort of thing. And in which case I would say, well, okay, then for that Saturday and Sunday, that Christmas Eve is that day. Let's schedule it on Christmas Eve rather than boxing day. It depends, doesn't it? Because uh, we're talking Premier League now because that's where Luton are. Um, I don't know the st- statistics of it, um, but there's an awful lot of players from overseas that aren't um, that wouldn't celebrate Christmas. So maybe that's not a factor. It wouldn't wouldn't be. If we're talking about it from the English perspective, I suppose. Um, I think well, we are talking I, about it from the English perspective because the other major leagues have their winter break over Christmas, so it's not an issue in those leagues whatsoever. It's only in England where this issue arises. I mean, that's another issue, I suppose. I'm in favour of winter break, but I would never have it to interrupt the Christmas schedule. As I say, I think it should be sacrosanct. I I, I love it. um, I remind you of that when we're covering the winter break in January and we're bored stiff like we are this week with an international break. Yeah, I know. uh, But then again, I have to weigh up my boredom with whether... 
uh, footballers are now being asked to play too much football and we're seeing injuries all over the shop. Um, you only have to look at the hamstring epidemic in the Luton squad to think that maybe they're being asked to play too much football considering the distances they have to run and the um, the speeds at which they're, they're putting their bodies through and the you know, changes of direction, all these different things that are so much more heightened now than they were decades ago. Uh, it's it's a, certainly a, a, an argument that you could put forward, I think, winter break. Yeah, we will, well, we'll have our first one of those in January, won't we? And um, we'll find something to talk about during uh, those <laughs> days without football, I'm sure. Uh, just quickly touch on the TV picks. I mean, we're in this situation where we're not going to know when Luton play Burnley until seven days before Luton play Burnley. That's just not on, right? This conditional pick nonsense needs to go now. If you're good enough to show it on a Friday, show it on the bloody Friday and don't and find something else to put on on the Monday. I mean, as it stands, for those that aren't aware, Luton right now will play Burnley away on the Monday night of the weekend um, that it was meant to be. However, if either Luton or Burnley are involved in an FA Cup replay, it'll get moved to the Friday night before the Saturday. Now, you're not going to know if Luton or Burnley are involved in an FA Cup replay until the weekend before. The third round of the FA Cup's the 8th of January, that Saturday. Luton were due to play Burnley on the 15th of January. However, if either Luton or Burnley are involved in the Monday night third round game, that's now the Monday night before you know if Luton or Burnley have got an FA Cup replay. You know, and we could end up playing them on the Friday night if one of us do have them. That's four days notice. That is not acceptable. Forget all the Christmas and all of that nonsense. To give a fan four days notice is just not on. Now, if that game's good enough to be played on the Friday, if Luton or Burnley are in a cup replay, play the sodding thing on a Friday and find something else to put on on the Monday. Don't mess fans around like that. That is cobblers. I'm glad you explained all of that because that's, well, I don't even that's think done I've my head in. Yeah, I don't even think I've done it very that's well, but I hope, it, I hope I've done it well enough. I think the, the, the general gist of that is that You're not going to get much notice. It's absolutely not on to, to have that. I mean, I can't imagine with the greatest will in the world that uh, anyone in the football world is, is hankering for Luton v Burnley on the telly. Um, it's madness. That, that, it, it, and that's where people get so annoyed, isn't it? Because you can't make plans. Um, if you have to sort of arrange it around your work, you can't do that. If you have to arrange travel, that's difficult. Particularly if you're like you, uh, I, I know you get uh, you, you drive with a friend, but say you had to get public transport. Everybody knows that a the trains are shit in this country but it's better the further in advance you can order your train ticket to get it cheaper. And if it's seven days in advance, it's not helping. So again, somewhere I think there has to be some sort of a subsidy that can come the match going fans way to help them out there. Yeah. TNT sports really should lay on coaches Absolutely. to Burnley for that game. It's not even, and we just, it's not even a local game. It's not mm. even a game that I can finish work. I mean, I self-employed, so it's again, not, I don't have the issue that, the regular football fan would have, but I can't leave at five o'clock and go and watch Luton at Burnley and then go to work the following day. I can't do it. I've got to leave at lunchtime and I'm going to get back at what, 3am, something stupid mm. like that. So you're either going to walk into work at 9am the following morning, like a zombie, or you're going to have to take that morning off as well. It's just not all at short notice. It's just not, not good 
whatsoever. And like I say, if you're comfortable with it being on the Friday, TNT Sports, play it on the Friday. Tell me right now, what are we, eight weeks out from that weekend? That it's on the Friday night. I can make all the plans that I need to make, make sure that I can get there, make sure I can get back. Everyone's happy. You've just got to find something else to put on on the Monday, which presumably you're going to have to find something to put on on the Friday if it takes place on the Monday anyway. So just help football fans out. And, you know, it's good that this was announced so far in advance. So all the other TV games had quite a bit of notice and that's good but this every single time that the tv's announced there's always one of these conditional picks oh if such and such are in the champions league if such and such are in the carling cup no pick two teams that ain't in the champions league or the carling cup you know you've got to show them all a certain amount of times anyway yeah (laughs) sorry carabao cup how old am i carabao cup just show two teams that aren't you know i don't have a lot of sympathy with Jurgen Klopp for all the whinging he does, but he's bang on with what he says about the turnaround time from a Liverpool Champions League game to playing that half past 12 kickoff on a Sunday. There are 20 teams in the league. Pick someone else. Pick Liverpool the week that they haven't got that game, you know? Liverpool, the wrong example, because in the Europa League, of course, but principle still applies. It's just TV really need to have some... Um, respect i guess for the for the for the match going fan that during covid all we heard their commentators preach was football was nothing without the fans and the atmosphere were dead at the grounds well if that is the case show the fans a little bit of respect give them the notice pick a date stick to it and play the game on that date maybe this is where the financial football regulator uh, can come in and have some sort of effect because the, the argument i guess from the broadcasters is that we pay you we pay your wages. We to the football clubs and to the to the uh, players. We'll do whatever the hell we like. But if um, if no one if, turns if, up, if, exactly. Uh, you know, maybe it maybe it takes a show of unity like that. But you're not going to get that from the really really big clubs because if you know if it's an away game, say three thousand um, fans don't go, then you'll have forty thousand that will step into their shoes. But uh, and equally, if it uh, I would see that Luton could organise that more amongst themselves, and, and that you'd have a smaller amount of people that wouldn't step into those shoes. But does that have the same impact as as Man United doing it or Liverpool doing it? It's they've, they've got fans or they've got football by the balls, really. Yeah, they do have. Uh, hopefully, that changes. Hopefully, this is the one and only one of these conditional picks we ever come up against and hopefully no other fans have to do it either because it's just not right and um, that is something that fans really do need to be listened to Um, one thing that will keep us in the Premier League or competitive with these clubs in the Premier League is Power Court kind of went a bit quiet on the Power Court front I mean they only had to build a new stand at Kenilworth Road Hmm. didn't they really but no I'm in all seriousness um, that is the reason why it went quiet on the power court front because the people that they're using to progress power court uh, had to take a three month sabbatical to build the bobbers stand. But we're back in um, where we want to be with regards to power court. And Gary Sweet mentioned both in program notes recently and in an interview on Talk Sport that further detailed plans, updated detailed plans, sorry, should I say, are going in front of the council. Uh, well, he did say at the time between now and the end of the year. But I think with all the by-elections and everything, that's been put back a little bit until the start of next year. Um, 
But that's good, isn't it? Because I think what people need to remember with regards to these plans is, yes, we had original planning consent, but that was when we were in League Two. Clubs progressed so much since then that if we built the stadium that we were given the um, okay for, 18,000, it's probably not really going to help us much in the Premier League when you've already got a 6,000 long waiting list and you're already filling 11,000 ground. So they're building the new plans to a higher capacity. The number hasn't exactly come out, but I'm led to believe it's somewhere in the vicinity of 23 to 23 and a half thousand. Uh, and ultimately that's what we need now. We don't need that 18,000 that we needed in league two. We need more people. So needs, needs plans to be ratified again. <laughs> it's, it's mad when you say that, that the plans got ratified in the first place back in league two. I, I, obviously I was there in the room, but I hadn't really considered it. <laughs> um, until you just said that, it's absolutely bonkers the, the, the level of success that the Town Football Club have experienced in that time. We might actually have been in League One because it was the night before the Bradford away game, wasn't it? That Sonny Bradley either, did. Either way, either way, we're not. We weren't. We weren't anywhere near the top end of English football. Yeah, either way, it's just it's 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 madness. But um, yeah, I think originally it was going to be seventeen and a half thousand, wasn't it? And but they had always built in capacity to expand um, as they went up the leagues. At that point, they were hoping that they would. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's right that they're probably building it out to a bit more to accommodate. Obviously, we all know the demand there is at the moment if Luton managed to stay in the Premier League and um, and that carries on for a, a good while yet. Yeah. <clears throat> but even so, if, if they don't, uh, I think that the, the, the profile that Luton have, uh, have gained from from this, um, not only in the town, but probably overseas, is, it warrants that sort of thing. I think, obviously, everybody just wants to see spades in the ground and, and things starting, but anybody that's ever had anything built by anyone knows that these, these things, they, they take a while. And when you factor in a pandemic and COVID into that, which have they've had to change the plans because of the shopping aspect, people don't shopping the way that they did do when these plans came out, which is it's another mad thing really to think about how the world's changed so much. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing the plans. Obviously what, what was originally in them was, was mind blowing. I hope not too much of that has changed. Maybe hopefully um, there's, in, there's improvements to come, but um, ultimately we, we just need to see that stadium built, don't we? And um, <clears throat> it's, the, the the Premier League has come along at a nice time to say that maybe the well not maybe um, you'd expect the the future to be a lot rosier but the ultimate uh, goal of that is that the stadium was going to do that anyway and that this will help um, the, the money from the Premier League will help uh, but getting it built is sort of the the shining jewel in in the town centre really and um, as somebody that lives in that area. I can't wait for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any builders that want a parking space, James's drive will he'll happily, uh, happily. You're having a laugh, mate. I don't have a drive in this <laughs> where I live, but um, I guess what it shows, um, if if you look at the, the the speed in which they built that stand at Kenworth Road, um, is while I would expect most building projects to sort of falter and come up and hit. Uh, come up against big problems whereas that one didn't I'm led to believe that the people in charge might be Hatters fans which helps 
if they're the people that are to build the stadium, let's say, I'm not entirely sure if they are, but that would make sense. There's not going to be this um, issue with, oh, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, you can't, you can't account for outside factors, but there's not going to be this um, situation where there's going to be too many uh, tea breaks taken <laughs> over and above the tea breaks allowed. They're going to get that thing built pro- pronto. Yeah, the um, project manager for the Bobbers was definitely a Luton fan. Uh, his name slips my mind. I do apologise um, for that. But yeah, you're right. And they, it's the same architects that they use for the power court that they used for the Bobbers. So everyone knows how the, how the club works now. They've worked on one stand. They'll know the speed that they need to work at. And actually, I've not heard anything with regards to a potential delay in the building of the completion of the building. It's just the delay in these plans so once the plans are approved which everyone's expecting that they will be um building will start and as we saw with the bobbers probably get on at quite some pace so that we're in at the time frames that have been given it's the groundworks that they've had to do as well that people aren't necessarily going to see but they're really important to bring that river out and anybody but anybody that's from luton and has been in the town center where that part of the river has already been brought out um just outside uh, on Butte Street, uh, just uh, before you go into the shopping centre, which is going to get another name, but will still be called the Arndale by me. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it, it, that's a lovely little part of the town it now, is. and you can see where that comes out and how that will um, sort of be, I, I don't know, I don't know the size of it, but maybe expanded um, over the site of the Power Court site. It uh, took a while to build that, and it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's going to do that. It's going to take as much sort of time to get that right in power court as well as moving a massive substation that they had to as well. So it's not surprising. It's just, um, yeah, I understand people's frustrations at it, but ultimately um, it's going to get built. Yep. Much like when you played football in the park as a kid, your goalposts generally moved and they've moved an awful lot in the five, six years since we've had planning permission, not just on the pitch, off the pitch, in the real world and everything else. But things are still progressing. As I say, the plans will go in front of the council. Don't think anyone expects them not to be approved, given that the there are only really modifications on what they already had. Um, That's the thing, isn't it? Because it's, planning is complicated and difficult, but I've... I've experience enough of it to um uh to give you sort of a, a layman's take on it but that those decisions in 2019 they were the big ones just that's it that's it's going to get built and you have to figure out the details of it really it's like drawing the outlines of a picture and now you've just got to color it in and that's kind of how i see it but that that was the big one that says Luton are going to get a new stadium now they've just got to get on and do it and this all these bits and pieces are of that so um it's just sort of filling in the details so it's not like they have to go through this rigmarole of will it won't it will it won't it get built it's gonna get built the council are well on board exactly it's literally just a time issue and as as we said building that stands put it back three months but what's three months when we've waited as long as we have it, it is still in progress you'll see the plans go through go ahead of the council over the next few months and then once they're approved you'll start seeing spades in the ground and then we'll all get really, really excited. But also with the tinge of sadness that we're going to leave those glorious nights at Kenilworth Road behind. But we've still got a few seasons at Kenilworth Road and we'll definitely be reflecting on them in the podcast over those months and years. 
that is it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, slightly longer podcast than what we normally do, but hey, you've got another week of international football this <laughs> week, so uh, I'm sure you've got plenty of time to listen to that. Um, thanks for listening or watching, however it is that you've consumed this podcast. Uh, as always, if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. It all helps with all the numbers and uh, the bigger reach that we can have the bigger and better we can make this podcast. Our thanks as always to the Hightown Club who've staged this podcast, to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for the intro music, which you're about to hear once we're finished, and uh, Ed Grant, Ed, Ed Grant, Ed Smith Creative <laughs> for all of the designs that you can see on our set. But most importantly, once again, thanks to you for watching or listening. And until next time, come on, you hatters. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're looking people.